Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I'm here today with Dr. David Eichenbaum of the Retina Vitreous Associates of Florida. David is also a collaborative uh, adjunct uh, professor at the Morasani University of South Florida College of Medicine. David, welcome to Retina Synthesis. Happy to be here. Thanks for giving me the chance to talk with you, Carmen, about uh, our angiogenesis presentation on the port delivery system. Yes. So why don't you tell the audience what the port delivery system is? Uh, some so, of them may be unfamiliar with it. Sure. So in summary, the port delivery system is an implantable drug delivery combination that's placed transclerally in to the eye at the pars plana in the supertemporal quadrant, uh, and it's biocompatible, and it's filled with a concentrated solution of ranibizumab. 100 milligrams per milliliter is the FDA-approved and studied uh, concentration in the phase three trial, uh, and uh, it's placed in the operating room. It's initially filled in the operating room, and then it's refilled per the label every six months in an office setting with a refill exchange procedure. It isn't really refilled. It's more like the fluid within it is exchanged every six months for fresh 100 milligram concentrated ranibizumab. And that's done transconjunctivally and transtenons. It ought to be covered with conjunctiva and tenons. And there is a self-sealing septum at the very top of the device, which lives under the conjunctiva and tenons and is refilled with this uh, very skinny wire that's part of a dual bore refill exchange system, which is proprietary and matched to the port delivery system. So there's been extensive studies of the PDS. Mm -hmm. And tonight we'd like to talk about the long-term three-year experience with PDS. So can you summarize uh, how the long-term data was obtained? Yeah, sure. So there's uh, a extension study, which is the long-term study, and it is still ongoing. It's called the portal study. And the design of the portal study is that patients coming out of the phase two study called ladder and patients coming out of the phase three study called archway would enter the extension study when they completed either the phase two ladder study or the two years of the archway phase three study. Once they enter the portal extension study, these patients, whether they were previously implanted with the PDS in the ladder or the archway study, or previously treated with active control, which is monthly ranibizumab 0.5 intravitreal injection, at the entry into the extension study called portal, the patients would either receive a 100 milligram concentrated fill if they already had a PDS placed, or they would receive a PDS placement with the 100 milligram per milliliter concentrated solution. And in the portal study, they would get refill exchanges every 24 weeks or every six months, similarly to how they would in the phase three archway program. So what was the total number of patients involved in the study? So the total number of patients in the extension study is about 550 patients. 548 are considered the PDS 100 milligram population, which are patients who either received 100 milligrams beforehand in the ladder or archway. And the all PDS population, which is the population that 
is slightly larger as 555 patients because ladder had a dose ranging piece, which was 10, 40, or 100 milligrams. And ladder was a relatively small study compared to archway. Ladder was the phase two, archway was the phase three. So depending on how you look at the populations, it's either 548 or 555 in portal. So it's about 550 patients, which is a pretty good number of patients to go into extension. And so how long were these uh, patients followed? So the data is still collected. The data that I presented is the March 2021 data cut. It's about two years of data, um, 1.8 years with the uh, all PDS 100 population and 2.1 years with the all PDS population. So about two years and about 550 patients. What were the highlights of the study in terms of findings? So the highlights of the study are a couple of things. The take-home message of the study, number one, is that in extension, patients who went from ladder, the oldest patients in ladder, phase two, who went all the way through Portland, we have the most data on, basically maintained visual acuity through week 48. That's good. Um, they also maintained anatomy through, uh, I'm sorry, through month 48, which is good. And they maintained anatomy through month 48, which is good, whether they were previously PDS or previously treated with monthly intravitreal ranibizumab. So the patients did well visually and anatomically and maintained their baseline vision and anatomy. And of course, these are pretreated patients who came in uh, through four years of follow-up. The ends do get pretty small in this data cut as we get through month 48 and the stats break down after about month 42, but the data will continue to be collected and the trend line is very positive for stability. What's also important to note is that similar to the phase three study, 95% of patients in extension, as all the patients in extension had a PDS and portly, they're previously or placed at entry to extension, 95% of patients did not require supplementation to maintain this vision and anatomy. And supplementation means ranibizumab shots between fixed six-month refill exchanges in extension. What's also important and what the real focus of my study is, is looking at the safety data and the ocular adverse events of special interest because safety is a big deal with this product, Carmen, right? What, what's the big thing in the label? It's the black box. Is the black box uh, something that gives you pause when looking at this particular product? Yes, there is. Yeah. Why don't you discuss the black box? Yeah. So the black box, which gives everyone pause and is why extension is so important, is associated with endophthalmitis, which per the FDA label is three times as much in the PDS population than in the ranibizumab population, which is true. If we look at the adverse events of special interest, about 22 to 24% of patients, whether you look at the 100 milligram or all PDS population, which are very similar, 22 to 24% of patients had an adverse event of special interest. About half of those adverse events were cataract, and we don't think the PDS causes an enhancement in the rate of cataract, but that was one of the adverse events of special interest. And the rest of the adverse events of special interest are the ones that we are going to focus on as a retinal community, especially the endophthalmitis rate, which in the all PDS population and extension and in the label is 2%. 2% is a significant number. It is about three times that in the PDS uh, control population, the ranibizumab injection population in the archway study, which informed the label. Now, if we look at that 2% of patients who had endophthalmitis, 
the vast majority of them had endophthalmitis associated with conjunctival erosion or conjunctival retraction. Conjunctival erosion and retraction occurred in between 2 and 4% of patients. And those are the events that we have to look out for since of the endophthalmitis cases, the 11 endophthalmitis cases in the all-PDS population, eight of the 11 had a preceding or concurrent conjunctival retraction or erosion with exposure of the flange of the port delivery system implant. So these patients do need to be monitored postoperatively in a careful way, particularly in the first several months. Absolutely. And that's something else that we looked at in the data and something that else was in the Angie Dennis's presentation is that the time of the first presentation of an ocular adverse event of special interest was most frequent in the first year after implantation. And the first one to two years had the vast majority of ocular adverse events of special interest, including endophthalmitis and conjunctival erosion and conjunctival retraction. However, the conjunctival erosions and exposure of the implant do occur, but in decreasing numbers through the four years of data that we have. And what's really interesting is the endophthalmitis rate really drops off over the four years. And I think, and this is not data-based, what I'm about to state, but it's my opinion is that through the course of this study, we learned how to monitor and manage these patients and appropriately look for conjunctival erosion and draw attention to it through ongoing investigator meetings and ongoing discussion of how things were going, both in the ongoing phase three and the rollover into the extension study from phase two and phase three. And we have to continue to watch the conjunctiva. It's, some people may think this is a set it and forget it procedure because they do very well visually and anatomically in aggregate with refills every six months. It's not set it and forget it because we are still surgeons with a surgical device here and we have to look for the surgical risk of conjunctival erosion going forward. In the study, uh, patients were examined every two months. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. So that does, do you think that's a reasonable uh, starting point in terms of follow-up of these patients? Yeah, in my practice, when I start placing this commercially, and I'm still working through access issues with my surgical center, even though we are in a phase four study, we are continuing to see patients in the portal extension, over, over two dozen patients all told. Um, I think in the commercial population, it's reasonable after the initial post-op care, which is pretty standard, one day, one week, one month. I think seeing patients every two months, at least until we get comfortable as individual surgeons and as a community is very reasonable. There is ongoing research looking at remote monitoring with various home cameras, handheld cameras, cell phone cameras, looking at the device and trying to assess it for exposure. I wouldn't trust any of that in the real world at this point. I would want to see these patients and continue to monitor them. An important thing also to note is that in the instructions for use and how the Genentech surgical device specialists are going to help train the community and how colleagues are going to help train the community how to put this in is that the way that the conjunctiva is handled with non-tooth forceps and special attention to two-layer closure with tenons and conjunctiva was a change about halfway through the portal extension study, maybe a third of the way through. In the first two years, there was this change with special attention to tenons, special attention to non-tooth forceps. That may reduce 
the conjunctival erosion through less traumatic coverage going forward, but that's still data we have to collect. So I would continue to monitor the conjunctiva even with the amended and improved recommendations for closure that are currently extant in the commercial population. How are the conjunctival retraction and erosions managed? So it's a great question. I've had to manage three. Um, one uh, in the latter study, which was a patient of mine that had ophthalmitis, and two in the extension study who have been managed and covered and continue to get refill exchanges. The way that I manage them now is different than how I managed them initially. Uh, and the current recommendation that I make and that I've had made to me is to use a split thickness corneal graft, which is readily available uh, in most uh, surgery centers or hospitals, and suture that with nylon, and then go ahead and loosen the the conjunctiva and tenons and bring forward the loose tissue and cover over the split thickness corneograph. The split thickness corneograph remains, of course, optically clear as the uh, conjunctiva and tenons over it heals. It's very important to bury the nylon sutures that are non-resorbable that I use to, um, uh, to, to uh, suture the split thickness corneograph so those don't expose. And then I use um, adovicrol to cover the uh, conjunctiva and tenons to suture the conjunctiva and tenons over the split thickness graft. And I think that's the best way to manage it at this point if you do have a patient who has a retraction or an erosion. Dislocation rarely occurred, correct? Yes, this is correct. This is something that I do not have experience with, but is certainly something worth talking about. Dislocation did rarely occur. Almost all of them were in the first two years of the study and only one of the patients, there were 15 patients in the study who had significant persistent vision loss as defined as three letters of vision, uh, three lines of vision or more lost in the extension study. Only one of them is associated with a dislocation, but all of the dislocations of course needed a significant surgery with large forceps to extract the, uh, the foreign body, the dislocated port delivery system from the vitreous cavity. And uh, the dislocations were all associated with wounds that were too large when the surgical videos were reviewed. One of the important points of this study and one of the great things about the data collection is there's extensive use of video capture for all of the ladder surgeries, archway surgeries, portal surgeries, the surgeries that we're doing in the phase four, the surgeries that we're doing in the diabetes series. Uh, and the surgical videos for the dislocated patients were reviewed. And I understand that all of those surgeries had scleral wounds, which were too large. So it's very, very important to stick to the instructions for use and make an appropriately sized and measured scleral wound and then keratome wound. So you reduce your risk of dislocation. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, Patient, patient preference for patients that had had previous injections or yeah. randomized to monthly miranubizumab, what was the preference? Yeah, so it's a great question. So, you know, we're talking about complications. My talk is the, the bummer talk. It's all about safety, but we got to talk about safety. Why would you offer this? Why would you use this instead of monthly randomizumab or perhaps another drug like Bavismo or, or ILEA or what have you? Why would you offer this? Well, aside from the outstanding visual acuity and anatomic stability over time with a refill every six months, Part of the reason to offer it was that there was a very strong patient preference for the port delivery system. Patients who went from ladder 
phase two into portal extension were surveyed with a standardized survey called the PDS Patient Preference Questionnaire, PPPQ, at week 40. And at week 40, 92% of patients had a preference for the PDS from their previous intravitreal ranibizumab injections. And on average, these patients in ladder who extended with the PDS and portal had 22 injections in ladder before getting the PDS placed. 88% of the patients had a very strong or moderately strong preference for the PDS. And when asked why that is, is that there are fewer treatments and less discomfort. I can tell you from doing over 100 refills that when you refill this device, it doesn't hurt like an intravitreal injection since you're not penetrating innervated sclera. You're penetrating the septum of this biocompatible device. So it's much less uncomfortable for patients once you get the hang of doing refill exchanges. And that's one of the most compelling things to me about keeping this in your armamentarium for patients who are either intolerant uh, or unhappy with uh, intravitreal injection uh, as an option because there was a very strong prospectively demonstrated preference for the port delivery system. And the story about the port delivery system goes on. Not only is there a long-term follow-up of the first group of patients with macular degeneration, uh, they're looking at diabetic retinopathy and vein occlusion as well, aren't they? Well, vein occlusions, I, I didn't know about that. I'm not sure we're enrolling vein occlusion. We're looking at diabetic macular edema, and we're looking at diabetic retinopathy. Um, those studies are ongoing. They're still uh, in their uh, data collection phase. And we enrolled the diabetic macular edema study with a number of patients. We did not enroll the diabetic retinopathy uh, study, which is called Pavilion. The uh, diabetic macular edema study is called Pagoda. And the story does go on. And not only that, this is a platform. You know, it's not just for ranibizumab. I envision this potentially as something we could use for a drug for geographic atrophy, which is something that based on what we're seeing in our early phase three data is a drug that may need a Q4, Q8 week injections without any reasonable or uh, clinical way to assess patients for extension. So this might be good for other refill type of products as well. We have to get comfortable with the device, get comfortable with the technology. And like you said, see where the story goes on. Well, David, Great talking to you, a very exciting new chapter in medical retina, becoming surgical retina, intersection of the two fields. And uh, we hope to have you back to follow up with this. It'd be my pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk with you, Carmen. And I'm very proud to be part of Retinal Synthesis.